Hey, PBDO, it's time to start the podcast. Open the cargo bay doors. We got to talk about Attack of the Clones. Beep, 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 beep. PBDO? <laughs> Look, if you open the doors now, I won't say anything bad about C-3PO scenes in this movie, all right? BDO. Thanks, PBDO. Welcome to the Cargo Bay, a conversation podcast being transmitted to you from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We are here to unpack all things Star Wars Attack of the Clones. I'm Brady C., here with my co-host, who is always ready to go into aggressive negotiations, Adam B. I've been aggressively negotiating with a Navi computer all morning, B.C., but it still says we need to move those crates of dentoplast over to the other side of the cargo bay to optimize this light speed jump. Yeah, I think we might have to get PBDO to help us move those. They are they are unruly. Did I say dentoplast? Because the word I meant to make up was densoplast. But I guess we got some crates of dentoplast too. Lots of cavities to be filled out here in space. Listen, just because we're in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago, it doesn't mean that dental care isn't important so yeah dentoplast is obviously something that we deal with in the cargo bay you know quite often you know enough dentoplast and bacta and you'll be looking like a new person in no time at all yeah exactly it's beautiful uh yeah so uh welcome episode two of the cargo bay the official cargo bay podcast of the cargo bay network <laughs> <laughs> uh how you doing what's going on how you been since we last spoke and talked about uh, the Phantom Menace. Well, BC, I've been doing all right. I've been spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to make uh, videos for our YouTube, uh, which at this point also means making videos for our TikTok, uh, mm. which is an interesting thing to be doing. I've also been playing a lot of Elden Ring. Yeah. BC. Yeah, it's, it's nice that we were able to get Elden Rings all the way out here uh, in the galaxy. Because it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so should, uh, are we ready for some programming? No, BC, I want to hear about what you've been up to. Oh, uh, I've been I've been trying to wrap my head around Attack of the Clones, honestly, for this conversation. Um, so I've I've watched, I've rewatched, I've taken my notes here. I, I've just, I've been trying to, to think of how I'm going to help balance the force on the side of the light, but I, I think that's what you're going to be really good for today. I tell you what, BC, I did I did rewatch this movie, but I had rewatched it uh, last year, um, and you know, semi regularly uh, in general. So I was I was glad to take another look, and yeah, I got some points on the light side for this one. I'm a bit of a uh, Attack of the Clones a fan or Stan. It, You're it, a Stan. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Um, and what what is this? Looks like we got a. Some kind of new cargo shipment here. What's in this thing? Oh, that's right, BC. This morning, this morning, we got a little little transport ship came up, dropped off this box from May 2002. Ooh, let's crack this bad boy open, see what we've got from May 2002. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I have got a compact disc of the chart-topping Don't Let Me Get Me 
by Pink. Wow, VC. I Talk was alive about and, a treasure. Alive and cogent at this point in time, <laughs> and I don't really remember that at all. But I'll tell you what I do remember. This is Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast for PC, BC. Goodness Very gracious. Nice. Imagine imagine this, BC. You're living in a time. You got a trailer for the Star Wars movie coming out. You know oh. what else you got? Or maybe the Star Wars movie is already out. I don't know what month this game came out. But the point is, in the same year you have a canon Star Wars big budget movie, you also have this EU stuff that introduces what what Luke Skywalker is doing post-Return of the Jedi to a mainstream audience. I'd say a wider audience than the books reached. Uh, is he training times. Grogu? Is he training Grogu in the game? No, Grogu does not make an appearance <laughs> oh, in Jedi Outcast, okay. but uh, Luke does use Force Choke and Force Lightning, I believe, in uh, this game when you fight beside him. So, Well, he's got a little dark side in him. That's right. He's been in them Jedi rules. Yeah. His dad is Darth Vader. Um, oh, oh, I almost lost this one, BC. Look at this. Oh, yeah, look, it's it's, it's a ticket stub from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, released May 3rd, 2002, the first movie to gross $100 million in its opening weekend at the box office, just two weeks before Attack of the Clones would uh, actually come out. Wow, that's, that's pretty incredible, BC. Uh, imagine that. Imagine going up against Star Wars. Uh, and I, in fact, saw Spider-Man before I saw Attack of the Clones. I definitely saw Spider-Man before I saw Attack of the Clones. I was hyped AF for uh, Spider-Man coming to the movie theaters. And so much so, I think it, it kind of overshadowed that there was a Star Wars coming out. But I was I was 15 in May of 2002. So driver's permit, I'm a little more mobile as a human being, getting a little more independence, moving away a little bit from Star Wars, a little more towards the kind of the comic book stuff that's going on, and uh, Spider-Man was right in my wheelhouse at this point. That uh, that would be a pretty rad movie to be able to drive yourself to, BC. I, I was... I was taken to the theater with a buddy of mine. It was one of those, like, after school, we're going to go to the movies... Mm-hmm. And I was very upset because I believe Attack of the Clones had come out the the few days prior um, to us going to the theater to see uh, Spider-Man. I was just so mad that we weren't watching Attack of the Clones, which I hadn't seen. I remember poking my head into the theater, uh, into a different theater briefly, just to catch a glimpse. And it was when Anakin and Padme are landing on Geonosis, and then poking my head back out going to Spider-Man and thinking that my friend's mom might just say, you know, you can go watch Star Wars if you really want to. Uh, but I did not. I watched Spider-Man and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, but was it's, still it's... still frustrated. Sure, yeah. It's, well, and Spider-Man is a is a titan of a, a movie in cinematic history. And I think I, can, I completely forgot that these movies were so close together. Um, Big year. Huge year. Yeah, I mean, we've got Attack of the Clones playing in theaters. It's May 2002. Uh, so we've talked a little Spider-Man. What are your memories of when you finally did get to see Attack of the Clones? What what do you what do you recall about that particular time from May 2002? That's a great question, BC. Uh, I've spent a large part of my life unpacking this movie, uh, including the day that I watched it. 
Um, I, I had, I think I had mixed feelings, mostly related to a little, a little, uh, Yoda doing some, doing some lightsaber action in this movie. Weird to do. It's something I've come to terms with, but that's, that's one of the main things I remember that. And then also thinking that finally getting to see all these Jedi in action was one of the coolest, you know, things ever. Uh, I'm sure I came out happy and not too critical beyond, you know, that was really weird what they did with Yoda. I, I remember just being an upset little man in the back of the theater. I remember being near the back, and I remember when when Yoda pulled out a lightsaber, just kind of groaning. Um, <laughs> but he was he was ready to go, man. That's he, right. He he had to, he had to he had to save their bacon. They were getting washed by Dooku. They needed a, a real Jedi to step up. Hey, to take I don't on a Sith Lord. I won't get into into uh, further parts of the podcast, really, but I will say my yeah. opinions may have changed on that somewhat. Uh, but what yeah. about you, BC? What did you think about this movie when it came out? I'm going to be honest, because I've been racking my brain thinking about this. I think I was probably so washed in the Spider-Man hype that was going on right before this movie that I, I have very little recollection of seeing episode two in the theaters. Like I was, I was all about Spider-Man. I mean, I saw that movie in theaters probably three or four times. Uh, so yeah, I I remember next to nothing. the The only thing that I can that I have recollection of is Yoda jumping around like a maniac at the end of the movie. Like that's that's legitimately the only. Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's the only thing that I that I can distinctly remember coming away. From from the screening, with any kind of visual memory about, uh, there's there's very little about everything before or up to that moment that stuck with me. So really, not me, not seismic charges, not the uh, the the clone gunships. I think I think Yoda and probably Django and Boba, and and the fight on Kamino a little bit. But in terms of like the actual plot, like the nuts and the bolts of the story, none of it stuck. It was it was just the the CGI explosion in the last third of the movie that had any sort of resonance in in my mind. Gotcha. I had I, I remember a lot of the marketing for this too, uh, as I do for all of it. But the main thing I remember, the two biggest things I remember. Aside from toys, which, you know, there's always toys, uh, mm -hmm. was Doritos had these little things that you would get out of chip bags that were these plastic puzzle pieces that just looked like a 3D printed like mess of plastic until you held them up to the light and then the light shining through created like a very cool image. Um, they were they were weird things. Um, uh, hard, to, hard to explain. Uh, but also the ads for the... Uh, the toy of Anakin's lightsaber uh, were oh. used footage of him in the droid assembly line. Um, and I just remember thinking, man, that lightsaber looks cool. I, I want that toy lightsaber. I already have an old plastic bulky toy lightsaber, but I'm going to need another one. Yeah, I think, I just think for me, this, <clears throat> and, and a little bit the way that the Phantom Menace played to slightly younger than probably what my demographic was, you know, because it, it hit you, Phantom Menace hit you is at like that eight, 
eight, nine-year-old uh, age, yeah. Anakin's age, so I was a little bit older than that. I was still able to get into sort of the hype of The Phantom Menace. I completely missed this one. Like, I was, it, 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 I was just sort of beyond the age of being really into Attack of the Clones. And I think it's it's something that's going to transition. It goes from this one, and then also my memories on Revenge of the Sith are going to be much more clear because I have very specific memories of what that that experience was for me. But this one, uh, uh, at least among the prequel trilogy, is the one that is just like com- completely washed out of my memory. So I don't know. It's just kind of a strange sort of timing thing. Being young, growing up. About to be sixteen, you know, not not necessarily being into the the Star Wars as much as I used to be, and and moving more towards Spider Man and Marvel and and more. I mean, that's not mature stuff, but slightly more mature perhaps than what uh, some of the Star Wars stuff was being aimed at. Yeah, our our age difference might have played the biggest difference here in this movie because I would have been I, I eleven, so. and yeah, that's a much different age to watch. Uh, CG lightsabers <laughs> or CG yeah. Jedi wielding lightsabers. I yeah, feel like. it's it's like I still I still saw the movie because I love Star Wars. You know, like I still remember going. Like I still remember that I went to the theaters to see it. It wasn't like oh I'll just skip it. I'm too cool for Star Wars. It's just I don't have a, a strong impression of the movie other than basically the CGI stuff at the end. Well, aren't you lucky, VC, that thanks to this podcast you got to watch that movie. Again, and probably again in the future, I'll make you do it for some reason. <laughs> Should... I am thankful. I do like... Re- <laughs> I, I will always love revisiting these movies, no matter what I think the quality of them is, which is... I, I don't know what that says about me as a human being, or as someone who, you know, takes in media or content of any kind. It's like, I, I will always... I'm always down to go back and, like, watch a Star Wars. Someone's like, hey, you want to watch this? I'll be like, Yeah. Of course. What else am I going to do? It's two hours, you know, two and a half hours. That's a great time spent. Well, uh, BC, I got one more thing here at the bottom of this box. We got our usual stack of reviews here Ooh. from from the year 2002. Excellent. Let's take a look and see what people were saying, what the high-minded were saying about Attack of the Clones in 2002. Yeah, let's see. I've got, I've got here Roger Ebert, who... If you'll recall from our last episode, ask the question, you know, will we ever cease to wonder at wonders or whatever he said that was very poetic? Uh, <laughs> because he was he was a three and a half star fan of episode one. But here I, I'm just taking a look at this. He's he's not as positive. He's, I'm seeing a two star review and, and Roger notes. Wow. It is not what's there on the screen that disappoints me, but what's not there. It is easy to hail the imaginative computer images that George Lucas brings to Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, to marvel at his strange new aliens and towering cities and sights such as thousands of clones all marching in perfect ranks to a huge spaceship, to see the beginnings of the dark side and young Anakin Skywalker. All of those experiences are there to be cheered by fans of the Star Wars series, and for them, this movie will affirm their faith. But what about the agnostic viewer? The hopeful ticket buyer walking in not as a cultist, but as a moviegoer hoping for a great experience. Is this Star Wars critic-proof and scoff-resistant? Yes, probably at the box office. But as someone who admired the freshness and energy of the earlier films, I was amazed at the end of Episode 2 to realize that I had not heard one line of quotable, memorable dialogue. 
Roger. Roger, he he's the shine is the shine is off. Roger, Roger did not enjoy <laughs> this movie about battle droids and clones. He did not, and I don't. I, I mean, I his point is well taken. I think it's he speaks directly to Star Wars fans in the beginning. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll probably like it. Mm-hmm. If you're a casual viewer, who's I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine a casual viewer who's just like, I'm going to go see Star Wars Episode Two, having no context around any other Star Wars movie and what that experience would be like. But if you go in and this is the first Star Wars movie you've ever seen, you're probably walking out a little like, woof. <laughs> Wouldn't be the movie I'd recommend for a first-time viewer. But I l- no. look at this one from uh, the Rolling Stone here, from our, our, uh, our pal Peter Travers, who... Uh, who laid down some pain on episode one. He did. He uh, did lay down some pain on that. And here's, here's, the, here's his opening uh, of, of his review. Is the magic back? Not without a price, baby. The Star Wars <laughs> engine has been stalled for so long, you have to trudge through nearly an hour of episode two, Attack of the Clones, just to hear it cough and turn over. Still... The force against dullness is finally goosing George Lucas. What a what a rave review. <laughs> That's right. He loved it. Kind of positive. <laughs> it's kind it is kind of positive. His review of Phantom Menace was pretty savage. Um which was I, I guess not uncommon a lot of other critical responses to that movie but it is interesting that he he saw this one is like, hey, you know what? This is this is moving in the right direction. It's still, it's better. Uh huh. So you know, good, you know I might for... agree with them. Yeah, I I, I know you do. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna close. Oh, I've got one last one. This is from the Paper of Record, the New York Times. A. O. Scott, who's replaced Janet Maslin as our our movie critic for the Times by now, uh, wrote in his opening to his. Uh, Less than favorable review. After sitting through Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, I'm tempted to quote an evergreen public enemy song. Don't believe the hype. But really, belief is beside the point. The promotional machinery around the Star Wars franchise exists beyond fervor or skepticism. It is a fact of life. When the fifth installment of George Lucas's pop Wagnerian cycle opens nationally on Thursday... The event will have all the spontaneity and surprise of an election day in the old Soviet Union. Get where's Janet? Get Janet back in here. Bring Janet. <laughs> Janet was Janet freaking loved Phantom Menace. She was like, "This is this is fun." I want to know what Janet this. thinks about this. I will. I will have to look it up because she she had left the Times. I think she had retired. Uh, so this was like A.O. Scott has just within the last like two years i think taken over because she she left not too long after the phantom menace review um so that was i think probably one of the last movies that she did uh, or one of the last big movies that she did for the times and uh quite quite a shift in temperature from the new york times review i would say yeah yeah for sure there's a lot of negative energy here the, i mean the force is actually starting to feel a little out of balance to me do you feel that do you feel it's, it's a little out of balance I mean, I'm not a Jedi or anything here, BC. I don't know that I'm Force-attuned or anything, but I definitely think uh, 
the universe needs needs our help balancing the force a bit here. Well, that's good because that's what we do here on the Cargo Bay. We attempt to balance the force as lover of Star Wars content writ large. We like to point out all the good and the bad, the things we love and maybe don't love so much about Star Wars. So let's let's jump into uh, something that we really like about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones to help balance the force here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start here. This is a big warm fuzzy that I want to give to Star Wars Episode Two: the Obi Wan Gumshoe Detective Noir storyline is amazing. He's jumping out of windows. He's traversing the Coruscant sky. He's he's flying around. He's going into the underworld. He's tracking Zam Wessel. He's investigating leads with Dexter Jetster. He's heading to Kamino. He's fighting Jango Fett. He's learning of the clone army. Uh, he's landing on Geonosis. He's resisting Dooku's call to join me. I think the Obi-Wan storyline for about an hour and a half of this movie rocks. It's really good. It's really, really good. That's that's one of the, the biggest reasons why I defend this film, is that I tell people, just watch it again and think of it as Obi-Wan Adventures. Like, fast forward, if you're not having a great time, just skip the stuff that isn't Obi-Wan um, and enjoy. It's very cool. And he's great in it. He, he is. Ewan McGregor coming in hot. Uh, bringing bringing his A game to Obi Wan. A the plus haircut, haircut. <laughs> the haircut. I I I'm gonna balance the force a little. That's dark side. That haircut is <laughs> the boof, is, the 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 bouffant. Is that what you yeah. call that? What is? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's it's not great. Uh, <laughs> no. They definitely nailed the look in Episode Three, but this look is just kind of like. Because you've seen all the stuff, like the the tweets and stuff of like people who have that picture of him on their mantle, and uh, like, yeah. my grandma thinks this is Jesus. Yeah, you know, um, I get that. Like that yeah. resonates, and you're like, this looks like a picture of something you would buy in a Christian goods store from the '90s that's supposed to be Christ. Well, if we're gonna um, make Obi Wan Adventures a light side thing, let's just go ahead and say Anakin and Obi Wan's looks in this movie, uh, I think, are both dark side. They ain't looking cool. They got bad haircuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. their robes are weird. Um, like yeah, they are strange, multi-layered things. Um, yeah. Uh, so and something I wasn't sure about whether to put on the light side or dark side. Maybe it's balanced itself. Is yep. In a universe where nobody changes changes their clothes, Padme changes her outfits three times on times. on Tatooine. <laughs> She shows up to a, a broke-ass family in Tatooine, or at least seemingly, you know, uh, less well-off than she. They're, moisture they're farmers, you know. Moisture <laughs> farmers, where a, a woman has just died, and she's changing from fancy outfit to fancy outfit. But what I didn't realize is that that Camino attack outfit is basically, like, what people wear in Los Angeles uh, and Beverly Hills. Like, it is a... It looks like the material for the pants wasn't as advanced as modern day yoga pants like it's a little like loose in some areas but that top which also isn't made out of like a uh a spandex it doesn't look like but it fits exactly like um what's the name like not workout casual but like are you talking about the white wear yeah yeah the white jumpsuit yeah it looks like modern fashion it looks like um it looks like someone in Beverly Hills or someone doing a TikTok as a uh, as a, a workout person. Um, is that her is that her most iconic look do you think? 
Um, if if you discount episode one stuff, absolutely, I think. Uh, I think so. Yeah. It's uh, for for a couple of reasons. One, it's like easy to understand visually, and then also it is like meant to, uh, you know, so that she can be further objectified. <laughs> like clearly, like there's a a point where the midriff is ripped out by by. <laughs> It's, By a next to, it's, uh, it's gratuitous yeah, it's, a bit. Oh, it's certainly gratuitous. Um, it's like, oh, hey, look, he just happened to uh, perfectly rip her entire midriff section so that it is exposed. Uh, he's he's cut her, but also exposed her toned stomach to the world. Good job, Beast. You've done your job in this movie. <laughs> like, that's the purpose that that Beast serves. It's like, all right, how do we get a little more of her skin in this? Well, let's CGI a Beast in there and have it you know, scratch it off. Um, yeah, it's, it's objectifying and just kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Cause that, I, I like that costume. I actually yeah. like it. It doesn't um, make much sense when she puts it on, on Tatooine. No, <laughs> but... it fits, it fits more in a different world. Uh, I had never noticed the, I guess I had noticed the amount of costume changes. It stands out more to me on, um, on Naboo, on the Lake of Naboo, uh-huh. um, when she goes into her, like, fireside evening wear uh-huh with anakin um but yeah she has a lot of costumes the well, weirdest one to me is that the blue looking thing on on tatooine yeah that she decided to change into was like i know you guys are dealing with grief and stuff but i gotta go change again yeah and they're like, they're <laughs> like who is this lady they're like who is this <laughs> lady what is she doing why is she always changing clothes um so yeah we'll put i, I guess uh, We'll leave that as a thing that balances itself, maybe. It's, yeah, it's uh, sort of a neutral, a neutral force. Uh, Padme's look, um, bad looks for for our Jedi bros. But you know what? I got something, just a little small thing. I'll throw here on the light side. The okay. the first version of the Jedi Starfighter. Whew, what a what a beautiful spacecraft! I love just that long triangle, baby. That's all I need. <laughs> Give me just, a long like triangle. A... It's like an arrowhead flying through space. Um, <laughs> I do, I do genuinely love this Jedi Starfighter, and I don't like any of the ones that follow. Uh, so, major points for this. Um, uh, well, some some Jedi fly this this model in Episode Three. Plo Koon mm-hmm. goes down in one. Um, R.I.P. Uh, but but yeah, I, I love these love these Starfighters. Plo Koon gone too soon. That's true. I would say gone too soon. Uh, yeah, they're very cool. Very, very cool indeed. Uh, let's let's stop being so mushy. It's time to get into a little dark side here. Um, and speaking of mushy, let's talk about the love story. Uh-huh. The perhaps the darkest element that exists in this movie. Yeah, for me, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's the hardest thing to contend with. Uh, aside from things we've already talked about in, in uh, previous episodes, just around like you know. Uh, cringy things. The Nemoidians are still there, you know. Yeah. But, but Rough, it's a, the tough. love story is the big, the big chunk of the plot that's hard to swallow. I think it, it, it. I've rewatched this movie a couple times this week, and even within the last year, I probably watched it another time or two. And every single time, I am baffled by how truly bad and unbelievable this relationship is between these two people from the beginning of her just being like, Oh, Annie, you'll always be that little boy on tattooing to me. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. and then 
you know, he's like, oh, I know everything that's going on in that room. I can sense everything about her. I've got cameras on her while she's sleeping. She doesn't feel super great about that, but, you know, <laughs> um, to her being, you know, like, hey, don't look at me like that. You're creeping me out. To to falling deeply, truly in love by the end of the film. At no point do I buy, I'd say, any of this relationship. Yeah, it's, I mean... I know that Lucas, uh, his his like uh, his uh, perspective on romance is a little toxic. I know he's someone who <laughs> used to cruise, according to him, cruise around and like holler at women out of his car when he, you know, like oh, uh, what style, uh, whatever the movie is, I, I can't think of it. American Graffiti. Yeah, yeah, American Graffiti style. Um, yeah. I think this helped create kind of incel culture in a way, VC, or like, you know, it's not that that stuff didn't already exist, but it is very yeah. much a movie about an obnoxious, like, um, whiny and demanding dude who just mm-hmm. for no real reason has a senator, a, a, a beautiful senator fall in love with him. And the only way I can explain it as if she is being manipulated <laughs> or you know Force she's manipulation just, she just really really wants some some jedi uh some jedi love she's really into the force um but yeah it, it is a it is a terrible example uh of like what you should expect from uh someone you fall in love with uh just a couple red flags here his fascist leanings on Naboo when they're rolling around in the hay. It's uh-huh. like, you know, maybe a dictator wouldn't be so bad. Um, and she's just kind of like, well, I believe in democracy. And he's like, ah, fascism. She's, she's, that's not a, that's not a non-start of her. She's like, that's, ah, I can accept that. Uh, the slaughter of the Tuscans is, seems to be kind of a weird turning point in the relationship. Yeah. Where she, where she, decides to love him i'm i'm unclear on the moment when they're actually when she, when she, she actually loves him well she says that she has been you know he's been tearing her life apart ever since he came back into it or whatever she kind of implies that she's been fighting this love the entire time <laughs> predestined <laughs> by fate um <laughs> you know or that it's yeah, I don't know, but that's what she claims. She claims she's, and maybe, <laughs> maybe there is like a version where you expand on this, where it becomes believable when she really is like, why am I, why am I so into this kid? Like, why am I into this whiny little boy? And it's like, you know, a dark, <laughs> a dark mature play about a pedophile. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> on the Lake of Naboo, the play we're gonna write. Yeah, yeah, about <laughs> what's. Well, it's it's it is interesting because she does start with the like I remember you as a kid and then it's like he starts complaining about Obi Wan and she's like you know maybe don't be such a little bee about your mentor you know because it's that's just the way things go like because he's just, he is legitimately whining and complaining yeah like a thirteen a year old like it yeah he, he yes. seems much younger than he is which again makes yes. sense because he's been in a cult his whole life but it's right. not. It doesn't make him a desirable romantic partner. No, and and I I just don't I I don't see the moment. I don't understand intellectually as uh, you you know it can be in the writing that like I've been fighting this or whatever. 
It seems like you've been fighting it because you want no part of it at all. Like, Natalie Portman, the actress, seems completely disinterested in Hayden Christensen as a human being until the moment when she's like, I, I love you. And I just want to grab the quote because it's really funny to me. Um, I love the, you right, truly, deeply. Yes, I love, yeah, I truly, uh, I think our lives are about to be destroyed anyway. I truly, deeply love you. And before we die, I want you to know that. it's like, it felt like a line that was put in to be like, guys, there's been no signs that she actually likes this guy. So we need to, we need her to spell it out. Have her say, I truly, now wait for it, deeply love you. Uh, it, like, it was like the line was written because they saw an early cut of the film where like, uh, this is completely unbelievable and i was like ah we'll fix it in reshoots we'll do a line where she's like no i I definitely love you yeah because up until then it's like i hate your guts get away from me you psycho yeah i I think natalie portman is is uh clearly uncomfortable with this script uh for good reason yeah um yeah uh and it you know it really is like she's uh a badly written character in general um yeah, for me, it is a huge downgrade to go from Princess Leia as our like female lead to um, Padme. It's the writing, you know. It's the writing is so poor for her. Um, I mean, I get that. Th- I mean, there are signs of like, oh yeah, she can take care of herself while we're in the the battle arena and like that sort of stuff. But the overall sense of who her character is and the place that she occupies and sort of the larger story of these prequels is is a little rough i think it's bad casting too honestly i i love natalie portman um she's she's a fantastic actor uh but that's enough of the dark side bc oh man Ooh, i gotta shake i gotta shake up those dark side creepies Woo! maybe the the biggest thing uh aside from obi-wan directly this movie has going for it for me is the distribution of action we do have some of these terrible kind of talky scenes that aren't believable but consistently, mm-hmm. we are getting big action set piece after big action set piece. Uh, I love the opening of this movie. Um, it's really weird yeah. and kind of yeah. a it's a cool way to live in the universe compared to what we do on Coruscant in episode one. This is like a grand tour of like Star Wars. And I I like this scene, BC. I like this scene more than the Padre scene. I love this opening. I love Ooh. I love any time Anakin and Obi Wan are hanging out together because I think I think uh, they do well together. I think they have a good camaraderie. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, it makes everything more comfortable. It makes Anakin likable. I wish the whole movie were Anakin and Obi Wan together bonding before the fall. That makes yeah. I think that makes sense, and I think the dist- you do get the the pacing of it is such that, like, watching it now, I know that I'm going to tune out during Love Story, right? Mm-hmm. But I know that shortly after they they go to the crappy Love Story, that, that something cool is going to happen shortly. They're going to cut to something that is not as boring as that before too long. So in terms of, like, that distribution of how, how it's paced, like, we don't have to spend too much time by the lake of naboo before we're going back and we're getting you know something from from obi-wan you know what i mean so there is a nice distribution to that 
I will balance it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little. Here's one of my one of my dark side shades, is that the last third of this movie. Once we commit to it being the final act, in its all action all the time. Is is a little like I I I'm I I can take a break from this, because it is there's so much CGI. There's so much action, you know, going from the Geonosis droid factory and having like, it's almost kind of like an Indiana Jones kind of sequence, you know. It's a, where, yeah, it feels like a a, a Universal Studios ride. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely developed as a ride. Um, going into the arena where we have the the fight with the those poor beasts, you know, they're just creatures. I, I gotta love kill all these animals. Uh, since we're already here and we're we are we are already past time almost uh, for the episode. So while we're here, I'll just say the the beasts are a big pro for me. That's a big light side thing. I love I love the Ackley especially. Love the crab. Um, yeah, they look super cool. I I, I like the uh, whole the whole sequence there. Yeah, but but then you know getting all the clones which are cool and and the thousand Jedi is fine. But at a certain point, like going from that into the battle and like it just becomes like i get like pew pew laser overload at a certain point i'm like i'm i'm seeing too many lasers um and then in the end it's it's even i mean you talked about it earlier like even yoda's thing is like how cgi can we make this little lightsaber flipping around the sky look you know so just that the last third of it there's a lot of bits and pieces that i like about it but but it is so like non-stop cgi and guess what, PBDO? Babo. I don't like C-3PO's CGI scene as he's going through the droid factory. Oh, no. I'm BC, just going to say BC, it now. don't do that. He's going to lock us out next week. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll have to make up for it. Um, we'll get him some new bits or something. Uh, also remembered as not enjoying that yeah. in the theater. Yeah. Um, but I, okay, I will, so that's, I will that's, disagree that's with you big... and say the last third of the movie is what kept me coming back uh, over and over as a youngster. And I think even on a rewatch, the CG is bad, but I just kind of find it all fascinating to look at. Like, I was pausing every sequence to look at all the Jedi in the background. Some very funny <laughs> things I had never noticed, uh, including a dual uh... wielder who constantly is, like, trying to look like he's holding a double-bladed saber. Even though he's got two separate hilts, like you can tell he's on purpose trying to keep it double bladed. Oh. But they added two different colors to his his blade oh. so that uh, you don't make that mistake. So he was like he was like extra one oh six. Yeah, way in the like, back. I'm gonna make he's a like, choice. I bet that I'm gonna make a choice about this. I'm gonna be known yeah. as the guy who has the double. A uh, quick light side hit in the midst of all this darkness. The Kit Fisto, or no? The yeah, Kit Fisto, the Kit Fisto smile. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, good That's stuff. That's so good. Um, yeah, and then uh, a big... Here's my, I think, probably my... Apart from Obi-Wan, here's my biggest light side takeaway. For what, for all the ups and downs of this movie, so much of the foundation for what my favorite Star Wars is comes directly from this movie. Yeah. Which is Gindy Clone Wars, uh, the Clone Wars animated series, again, separate from Clone Wars, um bad batch even has a has a ton of roots in this movie um we get expansions of cool characters from this Plocoon, kitfisto luminara shakti um the world of camino we build out in those things geonosis is built out yeah. in um 
in Clone Wars. So a lot of what what isn't always executed great in the movie comes out to being really fertile ground for the expansion of Star Wars into, you know, other media. And I really, really like going back and watching, you know, those Clone Wars things and seeing them tied to what is not, you know, the best of Star Wars, in my opinion, but still has its, you know, still is able to to borrow those roots. Similar to what, you know, we were talking about with Phantom Menace last week and, you know, the Starfighter and some of the the different design things that are that are being reincorporated now. I think it's this may be more than this definitely more than Phantom Menace is like the foundation upon which some of my favorite Star Wars stuff is built. This uh I agree 100%. Um also the, the biggest thing on the light side this has going for me. This was the point at which I started to have friends to talk about Star Wars with for long periods of time right beyond the movies because what this movie did is it introduced jedi kind of as a as a grand order more than episode one did this was the movie where it's like oh everyone wants to talk about like the jedi as a whole and kind of like hypothesize about where this is going and the clone wars are cool uh this was just uh, the friends I had who watched this movie continued to talk about Star Wars all the way through Episode Three, and that was a new development uh, for me. So that was cool. That is cool, and and I'm just thinking in terms of the development. I want to go just briefly going back to Episode One. Like it's it's Obi Wan and it's Qui Gon, right? And it's it's mostly the two Jedi going on their adventure, and they're the ones who are the first Jedi who apparently are facing a Sith in a millennia. You know what I mean? Where it's like, no, they've been extinct forever. Well, we just fought one, so they're around. Like, it's cool to to think about it in that context of like, oh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon were the first guys in a long time to have a have a lightsaber encounter with someone that the Jedi recognizes being Sith, and the way that that starts to unfold in this is the Sith plan is you know being unveiled more, and we're getting Dooku and how how that's growing out and we're seeing that expansion of the Jedi from it's just these two who are fighting and and now we're starting to see that the war itself expand and how that affects the rest of the Jedi Order. I'm thinking specifically in like Clone Wars, um, the animated stuff and how how they're all handling it and getting to see, you know, Kit Fisto fight underwater and getting to see, you know, Plo Koon out, out and fighting in his starship and you know, kicking ass and taking names. Um, I do like that, that, that development too, of going from, all right, the, the Sith are starting to come back and, and now we're building that world out and it is making it much bigger, which I think is what allows that foundation for Clone Wars to exist essentially, because there is so much story to tell. It, it is uh, another instance of like, man, some of the best parts of Star Wars come from like, hey, there's a, a Jedi with, you know, tentacles and three shots <laughs> of this movie who smiles. Uh, a quick shout out on the light side before I get to my last. I mean, I've got a lot of dark side things here written, but I'll I'll deliver the last one I'll deliver for this episode. Okay. Um, but okay, but okay. first, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Mace Windu, huge, huge uh, plus in this movie having uh samuel uh l jackson in here um i also love like i i don't know i love his commitment in the role like there's a a shot of him on a drop ship you know where he's like flicking away lightsaber or, or sorry a laser blasts 
and he looks like yep. 10 times more believable than other people doing it <laughs> like he's um but it's great having him in this movie it's awesome having him cut Django uh Fett's head off uh <laughs> totally washes totally washes Django Fett with without a thought um and i mean as a moment as a moment you know pretty important to what the book of Boba Fett was cuz it it showed it showed that uh at least that moment or around that moment a bunch we cut back to that a lot in the book of Boba Fett as yeah. being a, an important moment when little boba saw his dad get absolutely rocked by Mace Windu <laughs> just totally washed incredible uh but my my dark side here uh my last dark side is is yoda the jedi in general but really yoda just comes off as being not only clouded but pretty stupid like it's you know (laughs) there's a scene at the beginning where palpatine and uh i forget his like assistant's name or like oh man if only someone would vote on this amendment if only padme were here and like the jedi are standing there <laughs> you know like uh it's the Je- it's it's hard to overlook how blind the jedi are in those moments when they're just standing there right next to palpatine who is openly being manipulative and like not in a subtle way but like in an open manipulative uh-huh. way and they're just kind of like this guy's great <laughs> let's let's just continue to stand behind mm, palpatine it seems and something even du- is wrong and even dooku even dooku tells obi-wan uh the senate is under sith control right now who could and obi-wan's like no <laughs> impossible impossible he's like no guess what it's it's like half hundreds of senators are under the influence of this everything's fine he's like, i refuse to believe you it's they were totally cool democracy republic beautiful i've seen a few droids on one planet we're immediately going to war everything must be fine <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just good. how the Jedi are like, yeah, army, war, okay, good, yeah, we'll immediately become generals. Like, there's no transition at all. They're just like, yep. Although, I guess that's probably right. a part of their history, right? Is they they really are meant for war. <laughs> They're like, yeah. Uh, and so I'm gonna piggyback off that. This is a, a recurring segment for my dark side, which is hashtag Jedi fail. Everyone, be sure to use the hashtag Jedi fail. I'm just gonna run through a few of these quickly. Um, Jedi Intelligence says assassination attempt was probably Spice Miners on Naboo. This is after Padme's like, it was Dooku. They're like, Spice Miners. It was our, our Jedi Intelligence says it's Spice Miners. Uh, she's like, no, I think it's that separatist who tried to kill me. And they're like, nah, probably not. Jedi fail. Um, he would never do that. He would, he was a Jedi. He couldn't possibly. Um, sending horny boy Anakin to protect yeah, Padme by a romantic lake on Naboo. Terrible what a, decision. What a thing to do. And I took a screenshot. Major Jedi fail. I took a screenshot, BC, because, uh, you know, Obi-Wan's obviously aware that Anakin's in, he knows. into Padme. But there's what I yeah. never realized is after Anakin's arm has been cut off, when Padme arrives at the hangar, Yoda is looking at them. Obi-Wan is right next to them. She runs up, throws her arms around his neck, and kisses him on the mouth. Right there in front of Yoda. Right there in front of Obi. Nobody's 
nobody's concerned. So I, I just, I really don't get it. Like, I don't get where, what, what the Jedi are allowed to do in this regard or not. But I feel like they should either enforce it or let it slide more. You know, it's weird, weird stuff here. It's very weird stuff, and I think we're getting, we're getting to this idea of Jedi and attachment very clearly in Book of Boba Fett and probably coming up in Mando season three as we're going to get into this stuff because it is pretty perplexing that like you can't like people or you can't love people as a Jedi uh which is kind of like okay Jedi fail uh and my last one this is a quick one I want to call out Jocasta new Uh uh-huh uh if it doesn't appear in our records it doesn't exist well, guess what, Jocasta knew? A little four-year-old baby boy is about to own you and prove you wrong. So, for all your age and wisdom, Jocasta knew, maybe check your arrogance about your archives, okay? Just calm down for a second, Jocasta knew. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was a little disappointed in this rewatch and her behavior there. Kind of a bummer. Uh, yeah, a little disappointing for sure. And uh, final, I, this is the last kind of point I want to bring up that we can discuss as either light side or, or neutral or maybe dark side for you. Uh, last time we, we talked about some of the, the design choices as being things that we really enjoyed about Phantom Menace. I just want to get, uh, so in terms of like some of those things that exist in this movie, the seismic charge, I love, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, what are your classic. thoughts on like, on like, because we visit, I feel like we visit a lot more textured worlds in this as opposed to where we were yeah. in Phantom Menace. So you're getting Coruscant, you're getting Camino, you're getting Geonosis. What do you, what do you, what's your sort of take on on the feel and the design uh, of this of this movie? Um, I I like this. I like the design in this movie overall. I think maybe more than episode three. Like, I think it's more confidently done in episode three, but the individual elements mm-hmm. I love here. Again, I love the Jedi Starfighter. I love those gunships, the the clone dropships. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Just very cool uh, design. Uh, I like the giant clone trooper rifles. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, I love I love all the des- the like planetary and background design in this movie, except for four. There's this weird stuff where like you're cutting between Obi Wan on Geonosis and Anakin on Naboo, or sorry, Anakin on mm-hmm. Tatooine, and there are mm-hmm. two different times where you think you're just cutting to the next shot of Anakin. It's like a wide shot, and it turns out to be mm-hmm. Obi Wan when you zoom in, and vice versa, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we're cutting back to Obi- no, and now that's Anakin back on Tatooine. Because they look too similar in those specific shots. Like, if you keep them separate, it works. So you got red desert planet, and you got more sand-colored desert planet. Uh, Yeah. I I did notice that there was... It is... I think, for me, there's the moment when Anakin's going to slaughter a a village of Tuscans. Um, where it, it doesn't, it like I think of Tatooine as being more flat, and you do get more of the like the canyony sort of rocky look, and it's it's more red as obviously he's going to you know dark side stuff, and it does kind of blend into what the Geonosis kind of look was. So yeah. I was like, where are we right now? But I do um, love, I like Geonosis, and I love like the the dirt dauber style arena. Um, I mm-hmm. think that's very cool, and I like I like the uh, the beasts that they fight uh, as well. Okay, yeah. What about you? Um, you, you? You like the way this thing looks? I've talked about how I don't like I, the costumes. Um, yeah, costumes. I, I mean, I can take or leave the hairstyle, whatever. But um, 
I I do like the beginning on Coruscant. I I get definite like Blade Runner yeah, vibes. Yeah, well, when they're going through the that. flame pillars for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so all of that, like, it's it's kind of jarring at first, and then and then I I don't know. I just buy completely into like, oh, there's this. It is this giant city, and there's an underworld, and we get to go and visit that, and that's it's kind. It is does feel kind of like a new a new texture to sort of the fabric of star Wars. Once we really get into Coruscant, um, I love Camino and I think yeah, it's, cool. I, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that it's something that they've have revisited a bunch, um, in clone wars as, as sort of a big thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really dig kind of the, the feel of it. it um, oh, the last thing that I would mention in terms of my design stuff too, I love the clone troopers, uh, Obviously, we know we talked about the Clone Wars being a big thing that came up, but the Clone Troopers, I do kind of remember as being one of those things when I first saw this movie, going back to our May of 2002, of being like, oh, early Stormtroopers, there they are, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and getting to see them in mass in action was was a, a more memorable thing that um, upon rewatch, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that we had the the full-on introduction because somehow they kind of get lost to me in the haze of the in cgi a little bit um but yeah, yeah they're in those those, that... those dust clouds uh shooting the, the 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 visual imagery of this movie and episode three do like live in the same world very well you know it's a good uh i like i like the look of these films and how different they are i also like as the cgi continues to age there is part of me that's like, you know what? This maybe ages better for it all being CGI that's kind of blending together mm -hmm. in this weird way. Like, it's a very unique uh, thing at a very unique point in time. Um, and so there, there, there's stuff that I'm looking more fondly on now uh, just because it's like, well, there will never be anything that looks like this ever again. This is a very strange-looking movie. Uh, I mean, we're getting... We're getting on 20 years since this movie came out, which is yeah. terrifying because it's making me face my own mortality. Um, but it's it's like it is becoming a period piece. Like it, I'm starting to see it as as we would have seen the original trilogy being a period piece with sort of antiquated technology that existed then to what we're watching now is is really dated CGI technology um and seeing seeing it through that lens is kind of interesting because as we be, are becoming more and more removed from the release of it that technology is getting farther apart from where we are now so it is starting to feel like oh i am going back and watching a period piece the same way i feel if i go back and watch that original spider-man movie you're just like some of the cgi in this is like woof well, that's um, but at but at the time you're like that was amazing it's totally real and believable yeah, that, that stuff blew my mind uh the, oh, yeah. the thing that I appreciate most about this CG is that if you look at modern CG uh, that's good, it's just kind of like universal, universally the visual fidelity is the same. Like it's a high resolution image with a lot of detail. If you pause individual frames of this, there will be like a trash container that is HD rendered, like very detailed, and then another item that isn't detailed at all. Like... There's yeah. all these choices made because the filmmakers know where the human eye goes, that they spent right. their budget accordingly. 
that it is just incredible that if you take this movie frame by frame, it completely falls apart. But if you watch it in motion, it's like, oh, I, I am watching it. I buy it, sort of. <laughs> like, I'm in this world. I certainly didn't notice that that trash can is only painted on one side or whatever it is. Like, uh, Yeah. But, yeah, weird, weird stuff, BC. Yeah. And with that... Did you have any other things? I think I think we might have done it. Um, I've got one more thing. The one more thing, BC. Uh, Hit me. I just have Hit one me. question. Hit me. Which is, how how do you go to Camino? You fly over to Camino and say, hey, uh, one clone army, please. <laughs> we'll discuss payment like, in about ten years or whatever. <laughs> I would like one clone one, army. One, the well, largest yeah. army in the galaxy, a please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you'd have to ask Master Siphodius that because uh, only he <sighs> truly knows the answer <laughs> to that question. Um, but apparently, it can be done, and apparently, the Kaminoans were like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> and apparently, the Jedi are like, "Oh, we have one of those." Okay, cool. <laughs> I do. It is. It is my favorite part of the the Obi Wan detective thing where he gets to Kamino and they're like, "Are you here for your giant galactic army?" And he's like. Yes, of <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of course that's why i'm here for the army now let me kill the man you uh, <laughs> let me try to kill the man yeah. who helped you make them yeah, yeah. uh jango fed also the light side way to way to go Django. definite light side love to see it love to see it and and with that we have successfully once again two weeks in a row we have balanced the force that's right BC. we have found the best of both the light and the dark and we have uh, settled Attack of the Clones firmly in a place of balance in the Force. Uh, and now it's time for our final judgments. Uh, the very important moment here uh, on the Cargo Bay transmission. Are you going to send Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones to the trash compactor? you going to sell it to the Jawas? Or are you keeping it in the cargo hold forever? Well, uh, you want to know my vote, BC? I sure uh, do. I'm telling you what, I'm 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 voting to keep this thing in the cargo hold. You're telling me we're gonna sell Ooh. off uh, maybe the largest chunk of Obi Wan action in a single film? Not on my watch. I I I gotta have that thing. I gotta have it. That's fine. You keep it in your corner because I'm gonna sell this for parts. Uh, it's. Because I, if I'm if I'm keeping the whole thing, it also means that I'm keeping truly the worst love story that's ever probably been put on screen. Um, it's really it's really rough. I love the Obi Wan stuff, but I think I'm going to get more value out of selling it to the Jawas than than keeping it personally. Just because for me the the love story, it just it's. Having to fast forward through multiple parts of the movie to enjoy it doesn't bode well for See, me. See, this is where this is something I haven't discussed yet. I disagree completely with that assessment. I think that the romance sequences are part of the joy of this film because it's like watching the room. If the romance sequences were a little <laughs> bit better, this would be a worse movie. Because the sequences are legendary in this, because when you're watching the romance sequence, what you're watching is the sand dialogue or whatever. I think it's highly entertaining, and I enjoy watching it. Just got to make that clear. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. I truly, truly loathe those moments in a way that's just like, what are we doing here? Uh, it's, it's, 
I, I can't enjoy it for its uh, quality. It, it, it just I can't do it. All right. Well, I've here's tried. here's what I'll do, BC. I'm gonna I'm All going right. to. We've got this two DVD edition here. I, I'm okay. gonna keep right. the special features disc in in okay. the cargo bay, and we can sell off. We can sell the other DVD to the Jawas. All right. How about this? Well, I've it's because back in early DVD technology, we've got full screen and widescreen. Uh-huh. Okay. Keep the widescreen. I'm selling the full screen. All right. All right. I mean, I like okay. pan and scan okay. as much as the next guy, but uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So we'll 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 split the difference there. We've got we're keeping the widescreen, selling the full screen. Uh, so we're we're making the most of that DVD that we had just laying around here in the cargo bay. And now, for the most prestigious award in the history of podcasting. The Ewan McGregor Award. Adam, who is getting your Ewan McGregor Award for being the best? Who or what is getting your Ewan McGregor Award for being the best part of Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones? Look, we we had we gave our McGregor Awards last week. Gave mine to Dud Bolt, um, deserving recipient of that award. But but look, this is this is the movie to me that most inspires the award. Uh, this is a movie where. We got a lot of weight and a lot of uh, fake green screen things that McGregor has to put on his back um, and deal with, uh, and he's charming even through all this this uh, this mess of a script. So yeah, you know what, Obi, you're getting my McGregor this week. Congratulations! It's a clean sweep for you and McGregor and the McGregor Award. Uh, because I'm also giving mine to Obi-Wan Kenobi slash Ewan McGregor. Uh, hands down, the best part of Attack of the Clones for me. Uh, so he's he's won it. He did it. He uh, Last week I did give the Ewan McGregor Award to Qui-Gon Jinn. And, I will say uh, that uh, so. uh, Mace Windu was in the running. Uh, a, good, a, good, a good contestant. A solid contestant, I would say. Um, but yeah, I think uh, in the end, just... just too good to, to overlook Ewan McGregor for the Ewan McGregor Award this week. So congratulations, Ewan McGregor. You can come collect that award from us personally. Uh, we'll have that waiting for you on uh, on one of our shelves whenever you want to collect that. That's right. Um, just, just reach out to us uh, through Twitter or uh, Instagram. Or you can, uh, uh, you can text my mom's uh, cell number. Yeah, and I'll give you my home address too if you just want to drop in. Um, all right, and now it's time for our our personal rankings. So we're gonna rank the Star Wars movies as we go through them. We're gonna put them in a personal ranking list. Up to this point, we've only seen the Phantom Menace, so it's sitting firmly atop in the number one spot. Now we're adding Attack of the Clones. I have a feeling I know what your rankings are gonna be, but but why don't you why don't you let me know where one two where are these sitting for you? Episode 2 is currently my number one Star Wars movie <laughs> oh. that knocks Episode 1 into the number two slot. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, I respect it, but I don't agree with it because I am putting this in the number two spot. I'm still sitting Phantom Menace over Attack of the Clones. This is probably the closest I've watched these two movies together in a long time because you know I've seen them both within the past week. And I just, for some reason, I do prefer Phantom Menace for all of its uh, dark side tendencies that it has. 
Um, but for some reason, just as a whole, I think I'm going to go Phantom Menace. Still sitting in the number one spot. That's two weeks running for me. And I'm going to have Attack of the Clones in the two spot. Our lists diverge, BC. Oh, my goodness. Will we be able to balance the force between us? I sure hope so. I sure hope we can still get along, even if we don't agree on the rankings of you Star know, Wars You know, to balance movies. the force, one of us is going to be rocking a green saber, and one might be rocking a red by the end of this podcast, BC. I guess we just might have to. Uh, and so that's that's our that's our final judgments of Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Well done, well done by you. Uh, well now done by me. it's time for well done by you, well done by you. <laughs> uh, now it's time to get into a little hobby talk, perhaps. That's right. It's time to have a little bit of hobby talking. It's time to uh, talk about the thing that I spend too much money on: Star Wars trading yeah. cards. I love them. In fact, I love them so much. You sent me a big old sweet box of them. This That's week, right, BC. It was, it was a highlight. I have, I've got the Clone Wars are in, uh, in the binder already. So I've got those. Just have a, like four or five cards to pick up at this point. Yeah. And that set will be complete. Um, I've got now a good start on a Star Wars vehicle set. Beautiful. Uh, which you, uh, which you originally got a box of uh, probably about a year ago. Uh, Almost probably a year ago to the date, uh, I would hazard a guess. Um, those are beautiful cards in hand. I will, I have said, and will continue to say, and I will die on this hill. It is the most underrated Star Wars card set out there. Um, it never gets talked about, but it is the quality of those cards is really good. It's not the same level of art as, say, the Galaxy series, but I still think those cards just are phenomenal. And seeing them in person for the first time, uh, finally having them in hand confirms what I believed, uh, what I was seeing uh, on our Twitch streams when you were opening those packs. Those cards rock. They're awesome. They're each each one of them a foil, BC. Kind of a unique Everyone. foil treatment. Um, I, I love those cards. I'm glad that box yep. made it safely, BC, because I am currently dealing with a situation uh, in which I traded a card that is now apparently been delivered but not actually delivered. Um, so, uh, you know, made a trade on a Facebook group and I'm not sure how this is going to pan out, but it is, uh, it is a little frustrating and neither one of us fully trusts the other involved in the, uh, in the exchange here. So it's, it's been a bit of an ordeal. I had a similar thing happen when I was trading for one of my rebel green cards where I sent something Uh and they said they didn't receive it. Huh. And I was like... Okay. Well, I sent it. Uh-huh. Um and uh I I ended up just paying for the card that I got and gave them the the cash equivalent of the card that I sent them, which wasn't, you know, a huge amount of money, but still like, well, someone's got an Ezra Bridger autograph floating around in the universe that uh was was free to them. So, uh, I miss you Ezra Bridger autograph, but it was all about making my green collection complete for the rebels. So uh, I wish you the very best of luck on getting that sorted because it's a pain in the in the patooter. I will not be paying cash at all because again, neither one of us fully trusts the other. So they can have their smelly old card back, and the cards I sent can fucking burn in the ether of the universe for all I care. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting rid of them Which... because they were cards I did not personally want at all in my collection. Um... 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I know. I think I know which one you're talking about. Um, yeah, so that that's some personal stuff. Let's talk about the uh, the the larger Star Wars tops Star Wars news that we've got. We had the tops industry conference this week, uh, which was it's kind of like the um, like whenever Disney announces all of their stuff that's coming out. You know, they have those big conferences, the D twenty three Expo. It was like that, but for tops. Uh, so they announced obviously all of their sports cards, which. Is probably what most people took away from that. Yeah. But for us, we found the niche slide that interested us the most. That's right. Um, because we have got some releases coming out here. I'd say three of which are a surprise. One definitely isn't. Um, I just want to run through what has been announced uh, to be coming yeah, out is, from Papa Tops this, this year. This is uh, big news, BC, and I think some of this is moving in the right direction. Fingers crossed. I sure hope so. Um, so we've got Topps Chrome Black, which uh, is an in, it's I've known it as a baseball card design. Um, it's like got a matte black finish, chrome finish on it. Um, they do say it's going to be a character, classic characters on a chrome black design. Um, it's wholesale price again. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to pay wholesale? Yeah is uh, $43 per box, and it says you get one Galactic Black or Dark Side Auto per case, which I'm confused by because I know the Chrome Black from Baseball is four cards. It's one box, it's four cards, similar to the Signature Series. You get an in-case autograph in the Baseball pack, and then you get a pack that you crack, you know, a regular pack of cards, that's like three cards and like one either like refractor or parallel that comes with it. I don't know if they're doing the same thing I, with with Star Wars. I get the feeling maybe not. I bet that's a typo. I bet the case like they've I've seen at least three mistakes made like that since I've started collecting tops cards where people mm-hmm. are like, oh yeah, no, they it says on the box wrong. Actually, it, it's yeah. one per whatever or what. Like, th- it seems like the odds and stuff like this, like someone is just messing it up all the time. So maybe maybe it's per box. It's got to be, right? It's going to be expensive as hell for sure. It's, well, and it's, if it's 43 per box wholesale, then, I mean, they'll probably retail for... 150 120 It is it is eye opening to look at this and realize oh Tops really isn't making that much money off of my Star Wars cards even though I I'm way overpaying like at yeah. release from a, a hobby store it's mostly markup yeah which you know good yeah, for the retailers all... I guess <laughs> Yeah yeah it's good for the retailers not good for me um so that's that's Tops Chrome Black that's Supposed to come out in September, and basically I we don't know it. anything I, about I this it. beyond what you just said, BC. This this one's yeah. just kind of a I mystery. Mean, Who knows what they're going to include at this point? Like, if you want, go look at a at a box break of some some of the baseball stuff. It's a cool chrome black design. They'll have a Star Wars character on there. I'm not sure how how much that interests me. Yeah, same. Um, I do know this next one is going to be of great interest to me. This is the Star Wars Chrome Galaxy, kind of the second edition of our Chrome Galaxy, um, to be released in October. Wholesale $53 per box, 
with a mix of, and I thought this was interesting, a, a mix of old and new artwork. That's a great, that's, a great, um, that's great news to me, BC. Uh, it is, yep. Because, I mean, with the, the Topps Chrome Galaxy, uh, obviously they had a hit, right? I think that yes. hit the card scene awareness more than any other Star Wars stuff has yep. uh in recent memory, I, although I wasn't really around yep. for Mando season one when it dropped, maybe somebody was talking about that. I remember seeing Mando season one cards on the shelves at sixty dollars for a collector's ten and going, <laughs> trading cards, sixty dollars. <laughs> Who do they Get think they are? Little did I know Get I would be paying eighty dollars uh, for a blaster box, or I guess I paid the same amount for a blaster box, the one box I got to open yeah. a Mando. Um, but yeah, this is a good move. I'm glad they're they're capitalizing on it. I think it's really good for the hobby, uh, for like Star Wars cards as a whole to have this happening and mixing in that new mm-hmm. artwork. That's right. Get to a point where we can make this your like flagship product uh, for Star Wars tops. Do this every year. Yeah, um, big fan of it. I think we'll see what those pre-order prices are, but probably getting in on on some of that early is going to always be the move yeah. um one auto per box classic you'll probably get an evan peel or something but uh you know maybe not maybe you'll find something cool on there uh in november we have the book of boba fett everyone's favorite star wars property currently well uh, this is a 43 dollar per box wholesale one auto or sketch per box i imagine this will be very similar to Probably more along the lines of the Mando Season 2 release as kind of a big paper tops release. Um, same wholesale price as the Chrome Black, which is, I guess, interesting. This is a, um, this is a lot of stuff here, BC. This is a big year. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy it to me that they're doing Boba Fett cards just because, like, uh, you know, it seems like a small amount of images uh, that you could use. But who knows? I guess it could be a 100-card set pretty easily. Hey, here's my quick note to Papa Tops. Do 90-card sets. Yes. Just so they fit in the binder pages, please. Please do 90-card sets. Nine-card insert do... sets. Nine or 18-card insert sets. That's all That's all I'm asking. It's not that hard. Um, just keep an eye towards the collector who's putting these things in a binder. Because having card 100 on a completely separate page, kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, so that's Book of Boba Fett in November. We've got masterwork 2022 coming out in december masterwork 2021 still hasn't come out and i don't know if you checked the calendar we are in the year 2022 um it is like the opposite of a new car (laughs) yeah i will say it is not uncommon for for tops a fantastic card company to be a little behind on their card releases uh, as we have also seen in the bounty hunter set which you have a couple on pre-order um, that have, again, once again, been pushed back to, I believe, what, the end of next month now? Yeah, yeah, it is the 27th of next month is what they're scheduled at right now. Um, boy, let me tell you, I'm glad I had that pre-order in because I'm going to be really op- ready to open some cards. Uh, and if I had to wait until Chrome Galaxy in 2025, if I had to wait for Chrome Galaxy 2022 <laughs> and 2025, I, you know, might break. Yeah, uh, so that's kind of tough. 
the, um, the masterwork stuff uh bc you and i don't aren't going to go in for that most likely because they're like 400 dollars a box but i will say yeah. uh i'm interested to see the on-screen prop relics hit ebay yep. because you know there are some mando season two razor crest on-screen prop relics would have really yep. loved to get my hands on one of those um but now i'm kind of glad yep. i didn't because maybe some more come out and the value of those drops uh, which is this? This will be a big, a big chase. I think those those on-screen prop relics. That's. Uh... But yeah, we typically have no interest in masterwork because it is cost prohibitive. Yes. To purchase a box of those, um, I mean they look cool. They're on thick card stock. Uh, several of my yeah, the cards are nice. Are masterwork. Yeah, they're fantastic. But just in terms of, it's a big gamble to open a box of that and get an Evan Peel autograph. Uh, so, but typically they are very nice cards. You get a lot of cool parallels, a lot of higher end stuff. But uh, the re the wholesale is 145 per box. Those tend to go on uh, for like like three, four hundred bucks. So, definitely the higher end collector. Not necessarily what what we are. So, right. uh, yeah, it might be out on that. I'm gonna pick your brain on this because I I. I need to. Last week we talked about the Mandar Mando Beskar Chrome whatever edition that's coming out. They're on pre-sale now. $150 a box. This is $25 less than the Bounty Hunters is on on blowout cards. It's $25 cheaper than the than the Bounty Hunters box. Do I jump at this? Because originally I was thinking maybe I'll get a Bounty Hunters box to open because uh, I'm a fiend. I love opening cards. Yeah. Do I wait? Do I buy the Mando Chrome at a lower price? Wait a little longer to open some cards? What do, what do you think? Here, here's what I think, BC. Uh, if you didn't hear last week, Tops is basically putting out a bunch of cards for Mando Season 1 and 2 cards that are already out. They're putting them out with a Chrome backing. Uh, which is yeah. something I was a little upset about because I'm like, oh, well, what about the value of those cards that have already been printed, basically, uh, on not the exact same cards on not Chrome? You say that's not really an issue. You know a lot more about card collecting in general than I do. I think I think Mando Season 1, the paper regular edition, is always going to hold its value or, or close to its value. I mean, those boxes are expensive. It's... It's a heavy chase. Season two got kind of the top season two kind of got panned in terms of yeah. opening those cards. So there's not a lot of value in season two other than just, you know, personal collection. And I think rarely are we thinking about it in terms of like a, a financial return on our investment right, with right. these tops cards. Cause we know it's, it's typically not there. Well, there's, I don't know. There's but a pretty I, easy, what I was going to say is there's a pretty easy way to make your money back. And that's what you should do is pre-order a box pre-order two boxes if you can uh and then wait and watch other people open some and if you like what you see Decide. open it and if you don't just sell it on ebay really quickly for you know a 20 dollar profit or list it you know 10 dollars higher than what you bought it for and it will sell immediately and someone will think it that they got good. a steal <laughs> like yeah um but i think i think this set is probably the one to go for over bounty hunters the bounty hunters images are coming out on the card trader app i don't know if you've seen any of those oh, i haven't really they seen are them. just like the evolutions cards where it's like two images except in the background there's like this bounty hunter text on the right side 
Uh, my point is, I don't think they're good-looking cards. I think these are going to be good-looking cards, and I think a numbered parallel of a cool Mando image is going to be sick. Uh, and you kind of, you, I mean, for better or worse, you know what you're getting with yeah, these, essentially. Yeah. You know? Um, and there are a lot of great images was, uh, in, in that Season 1 set that it would be cool. And speaking of that Season 1 set, you sent some of those dupes you sent my way. This is the first time I've got to hold some Season 1 cards in hand. They look cool. I like them a lot. Yeah. I really like the card design. So in Chrome, I feel like it might be might be worth it. So I may may check out the old bank account and see, uh, see what I want to do because I... I don't think that box will ever be cheaper than it is right yeah. now unless the market completely tanks, which is always a possibility. Um, yeah, especially yeah, when, I've, you know, uh, the, the world in a, is in a state of turmoil. People maybe aren't going to buy those card boxes <laughs> at yeah, twice so, retail. I don't know. And and even that, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it has to be three times of what that wholesale price is right now per box. So, you know. Top's making away like a bandit, of course, but I feel like maybe getting a box too, just seeing uh, seeing what happens, and then if if the values collapse, I'll have a reason to open them. If the values doesn't collapse, I'll have a reason to sell them. Either way, it'd be nice to have some something at some point to open. So I'll think yeah, about put it. in. Just wanted to pick your brain about it. Put in your order now to right imagine now. how you're feeling in a year and a half. <laughs> That's true, because there's no way that that's coming out when they say it's going to come out. <laughs> Although it's interesting because it's... I don't know if you saw the the UK release of the Mandalorian uh, did, cards. Yeah. Which was essentially what they're doing here, but without a chrome finish. We're like, it's season one, season two, but we're selling in Europe. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was just a collection of season one and two that was being sold. So maybe they're just ready to fire away. They're like, just put the chrome yeah. finish on these sets that we've that we've released multiple times at this point and just get it out. Cause it's like, we're adding 25 new cards to the base and then the inserts. So it's probably not a lot of heavy lifting for them to print these on Chrome. Yeah. They already have everything in place. They need to get something out. It's been since battle plants. I mean, I guess they had signature series. So a lot of their, their market blew their money on that already. Signature series is, is this what it is? It's not something I will be. Uh, I will ever be chasing. Like it. No, I mean you have to like buy a case of signature series to. I think, and I think this one really hurt signature series in the future because I think a lot of people bought cases and uh, I just totally struck out. struck out. Yeah, and I think even yeah. the, the most in demand autographs from this are are selling for less. I think the the Star Wars autograph market is way oversaturated right now, um, and so I don't think people are going to be paying sixty dollars a box for a single auto forever, uh, especially after this, because they could easily spend that sixty dollars, and instead of getting their sixth, uh, you know, uh, Joe Costa new. Actually, I don't know that she signed. That would that would maybe be a great pull but anyway you know what i mean yeah. instead of getting that you could spend sixty dollars <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and get a tamura morrison or whatever you know like yeah yeah it's it it's 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 the biggest gamble product to get especially you know those cases it's like there's five maybe five decent autos per case and 15 that you're kind of like i gotta move this for eight bucks or yeah yeah it's <laughs> a lot of work make something of, yeah um 
So yeah, that's, I think, probably the, I mean, that's the biggest, like, lotto ticket, I think, that exists in Star Wars trading cards, is that signature series. Yeah. Um, the biggest lotto ticket is the Stellar box. It's $10,000 a case. Those are nuts. Um, that's... But yeah, I think, I think your point about the, the market being oversaturated with autographs is, is a good point, especially when signature series comes out, because if you go on eBay, it's just every all of those are out there yeah yeah like every like they're and that's they're a, everywhere i got that one of 10 warner herzog bc for uh half the price i would have gotten it for a year ago i think um you yeah. know just because it's everyone who the demand has been has been met right <laughs> like there there are only so many of people like me who are like oh my gosh you know what i want i really want a warner herzog star wars autograph i want i did i want the famous documentarian director Werner herzog's <laughs> autograph on a star wars card but it's the same for everybody including the, the top dollar autographs you know like you're seeing like felicity jones drop in price um yeah i saw you know like even I, I even saw a Harrison Ford sell for well below what I think it would have gone for at the same time last year. Because, again, there's only so many people who are going to pay $2,000 to have a hastily jotted on sticker from Harrison Ford. Yeah. I, yeah. And it's, it, it is about the, the chase of scarcity at this point, it feels like, where it's, you know, because the market is only so big where it's, oh, now can I get the... The of 10, can I get the of 5? Can I get the coveted parallel that I'm chasing of this? Because there's a lot of Star Wars autographs out there. There's very, I mean, Mark Hamill's like the the rarefied air. Carrie Fisher's the rarefied air. Um, yeah. And so it's... Uh, I still haven't seen the Carrie Fisher come out of Signature Series. Was it in there? She's on the she's uh, on the list. So, so. It, it has to be like a sticker that they have laying around still that's like probably a 1 yeah. of 1 or a 5 at most because... Tragically, um, she is not going to be signing any more of those. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean that her her autograph market is going to remain strong forever because she's yeah probably yeah. you know one of the most iconic three characters. And Mark Hamill just doesn't sign anymore because Tops apparently pissed him off. So um, yeah, so that's a hard one to come by too. Um, Glad I got my my uh, personal Mark Hamill. Yeah, uh, Anna. um but now that i have herzog i won't be chasing autos i'll be chasing those numbered galaxy parallels that is where i'm going and bc that is what i will be doing i don't think i'm going to get a box of mando because i am going to i'm going to start a drawer where i put away money for galaxy chrome um man i I want i want those cards I'm, i'm addicted to the chrome I, There's nothing even comes close for me, like I, not even close. If if you if we want to discuss a big financial play on a on a Chrome, let me know because that is something where I feel like if I set aside some money each month, by the time that comes on pre-order, we can just say, let's just do a case. Let's do a case. We'll set I'll, six I'll... boxes aside that we're never gonna touch. Uh-huh. We'll have three each that we can do whatever we want to with, and then from there, go with God. Yeah, those those six cases 
or those six boxes could like you know fund a cargo bay vacation in five years <laughs> if the market stays as strong as it has right. for for chrome galaxy and, and i imagine it like i imagine there's a bit of a bubble around the first set of galaxy chrome Has that's to gonna be. pop of like this will be the last like this is the only time this might happen where it's like oh okay galaxy chrome will be a thing now um I mean, but yeah, I I am probably gonna sell some of my Galaxy Chrome on eBay now because it's just there's so much money to be made on on those cards. Some of the singles, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a, not not your personal collection back on that shelf there, though. No, not not the ones I have sought out specifically. But there were a lot of singles that I picked up on eBay, like numbered parallels, because I would be like, "Oh, this is a purple for twenty five, or sorry, this is a purple of twenty five for ten dollars right now. I'm gonna pick it up so that I can sell it or trade it later on the group." Nice. Um, so I have a, I have a lot of purples, um, and I have a lot of uh, you know just various refractors. Like I have the sixty six of ninety nine Darth Maul card. You know, I got some. I got some cool stuff I'm going to throw up. Nice. Cool. I love it. I love to see it. I love... Uh... Oh, my gosh. BC, check your chrono. <gasps> We're about to get in trouble. Uh-oh. <laughs> we got to move that dentoplast. We got to get the dentoplast Before we make the that move. jump to hyperspace. That's right. Well, uh, well, you should get on that PBDO. Where yeah, are get on the start moving the boxes, PBDO, PBDO, PBDO. Let's get let's get on it, buddy. Uh, I mean, where where are we jumping anyway? We're finally headed to Coruscant, the big city Ooh. in the sky. Uh, it should be perfect uh, because we'll be discussing Revenge of the Sith next week, BC. I'm really excited about that. I am too. I am. I'm looking forward to rewatching that movie. I I will say I'm looking forward to watching one of my top 20 movies. Ooh. <laughs> my top 25 movies of all time. I At love least it. my top 20. All right, that's <laughs> yeah, it's it's up there. It's up there. All right, everybody, we will catch you next week in the Cargo Bay. Uh bye forever. Let's close down that transmission. See you all next week. Thank you.